Welcome to the LI Law Podcast. We feature legal issues and developments which affect Long Island residents and business owners. I am your host, Zahava Schechter. Our guest on this 62nd episode is Rachel Silverstein, a 2020 Toro Law Center graduate and GLAAD-nominated comic book writer. Her first co-written graphic novel, Renegade Rule, was published by Dark Horse Comics in, in 2021. Please check out the show notes for more information about Rachel. Please keep in mind that we will not be providing legal ad- advice to any specific questions. So let's get started. Rachel, before we met, I had never heard of the comic book law specialty. Please tell our listeners about this area of law. Right. Hi, Zahava. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, so with comic book law, it was one of those things that I had also never heard of until I started getting into the comic book scene. And I thought to myself, um, once I started getting published by bigger name publishers, I said, who's going to look over my contract. I know as a law student, I could definitely look at, look over it myself, which I did. And I thought, what kind of attorney do I give this contract to, to have them look it over and say it's either good or bad or needs changes. And that's when I learned about comic book law, which some people say isn't a real thing. It's a mix of um, a bunch of different types of law, entertainment law or contracts or intellectual property. And uh, that's how I stumbled into the field. So let me ask you about comic book law. Are we talking about the the comic strips we see in the newspaper? Are we talking about Superman or Batman or those kind of hero figure books? Or is there really a spectrum of what is encapsulated within comic book law? Right. So yes, it can be superheroes and all of that uh, kind of stuff. It really has to do with I think the creative team and what the creative team is looking for. So it could be between um, maybe a writer and an artist, or maybe the writer and artist and the publishing company. So it's contracts between those types of people. And what's interesting about comic book law, we know about many genres of uh, of novels, of uh, romance novels, historical fiction, biographies, et cetera. Are there many publishing houses that deal with comic books or uh, series involving comic books, or is the field more succinct? Um, yeah, there's, I mean, I think that it's comic books in general, but of course there's also like you said, novels and other kind of books, children's books, and um, pretty much any of that kind of media needs, not necessarily a comic book lawyer, but I think an attorney to look over contracts in general. And when we talk about comic books, are we talking about illustrated pictures or are we talking mainly about text? Can you give us a a better description? Sure, at least for me, uh, comic books is words, plus art. And I mean, with the words, it could be the writer, it could be the letterer for the comic book. So there's a lot of different contracts that go on with making a comic book. Okay, so first, we're going to talk about uh, uh, how to help people who are looking to get into the field. So if you are one of our listeners is out there and wants to write comic books, we will definitely have advice for you. But we're going to start with the best way for practicing attorneys 
who may want to go into this field, start this field, what's the best way for them to learn about comic book law? Right. So actually, this is kind of cool and near and dear to my heart, but it's one of those things that as a law student, I couldn't take full advantage of. Um, But there are CLEs that are dedicated just to comic book law. Continuing legal uh, education programs. Yes. Yes. And um, some of them I couldn't attend as a law student, but there are ones that are offered every year, I think every year at New York Comic Con. And um, it's literally about comic book law and everything that we've just talked about uh, having to do with intellectual property, copywriting, uh, your, you know, your comic books and trademarking your logos and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Can you, I, I believe that there is a book you want to mention which deals with comic book law. And I want to tell all of our listeners, all of the sites, all of the books and the cases and the articles, which Rachel is uh, referring to, all those sites will be in the uh, show notes. So please look at the show notes if you want further illustration. But is there a source for lawyers to go to if they want to start uh, this field? Yeah, so it's called the Pocket Lawyer for Comic Book Creators. So not only is it beneficial to lawyers to look at. So they have a background. It's also beneficial to obviously comic book creators who have no legal background. And it, I have the book, it spells out everything for you in different um, chapters and everything like that. Um, And one of the, one of the writers for it gave a talk at Toro Law School. I invited him to give a a little talk at the Intellectual Property Law Society. So that was a lot of fun. That is nice. And I understand you also present at uh, libraries or other uh, facilities. Um, So if anyone's interested in in speaking with you about coming to their facility or their school and talking about this, I'm sure you're available. And uh, Rachel's uh, contact information is in the show notes. So from where does your inspiration come to create your comic books? Right, so it really started probably when I was in middle school, I got into comic books and, you know, superheroes were big back then. So that's what I was into. And then um, over time, I started a writer's notebook back when I was in high school. It's, I wrote the date when I started, it was 2009. And I think it's halfway full. <laughs> it was a big book. What is a writer's notebook? Yeah, I just jot down little ideas. Back then it was, you know, angsty poems when I was in high school and stuff like that. But now I write out um, either my comic book ideas I did a recent comic book that's being published at the end of the year that I wrote out the entire first draft of it in my writer's notebook. So no one look at it because it's all confidential. (laughs) Um, What what is the name of that book? Right. So that's called The Legend of Korra Patterns in Time. It's uh, an anthology for if anyone's a fan of the Avatar The Last Airbender series that was on Nickelodeon a long time ago. It's the sequel, Legend of Korra. And yeah, they, they came out with a comic book anthology that I contributed a short story to. Okay. And let's talk about Renegade Rule, your first published book. Congratulations on that. What is that about and how do uh, interested listeners find your book? Right. So Renegade Rule is near and dear to my heart. It's my first ever published comic book with Dark Horse Comics. I wrote it with my co-writer, uh, Ben Kahn. And they approached me and said, hey, Rachel, I know you've always wanted to break into the comic book scene. They had always uh, published comics in the past and said, how would you feel about writing a comic book about women on a virtual reality 
esports team. I said, yeah, let's do it. So it was a long, it took a long time. Um, we originally self-published it back in 2018, the first chapter of it. We got picked up by Dark Horse Comics and um, ended up publisher, making it, correct? The publisher, yes. Yep. And we ended up making it into a 96 page graphic novel. And um, it's, so yeah, it's about queer girls on a virtual reality esports team fighting their way to the top of the championship finals. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It's uh, definitely for ages 16 and older, I would say. And uh, it's, it's really funny if anyone's interested. Okay. And do you have a literary agent? Yes, we do. Okay. So how do you, how does someone who's interested in writing a comic, and I want to ask you the difference between a graphic novel and a comic book, maybe it's the same thing. I'm not sure, but what is the difference? And then how does someone who wants to write one of those types of, of uh, books find a literary agent in this uh, specialty? Right. So the difference is a, a comic book is really, like I said earlier, words and art, and it could be a comic strip that's collected in a book. It could be um, a single issue comic book, like a lot of the superhero comics are like that. You buy one issue at a time and they're all numbered. And a graphic novel is a either, like with Renegade Rule, we call it an OGN, an original graphic novel, where it's just one story that's many pages long. And, and what is the graphic component here? The art. Oh, the art. Okay, right. very good. So and how do you like, find and how do you find a literary agent who knows what he or she is doing in this genre? Right. So, I mean, the easiest way is to just honestly Google literary agents in comic books, and there are ones who specialize just in comic books. Um, there are many. Are there many who do? I honestly haven't researched it too much. Our literary agent is the best, and she uh, she who really is your agent. Best. Who is your agent? Oh, um, her name is, you think I would, I would know it off the top of my head. All Mo right. Ferreira. Okay. Very yeah. good. All right. So, um, Rachel, what, now we're going to get to our listeners questions. Maybe they are burning with, uh, the desire to publish a graphic novel. So what are three tips you would give to our listeners who want to follow in this path? Right. So the first tip that I would give, and I will preface by saying I'm not an attorney, but I do have experience in all of the law school classes that I took. But um, I would say first, copyright and trademark everything. I think that is super important so that people don't come after you. Um, okay, so you what does that after- mean? What are, right. what are the differences? What does that mean? So a copyright is protecting original works of authorship. Um, and I think the full definition is that it has to be a, a tangible work or a, a fixation in a tangible form. How, so, do you, how do you copyright your work? Right. So there is the copyright office. It's in uh, Washington and Washington, right. D.C. Right. And um, you file for it online. You can have an attorney file for you. You can do it by yourself. Um, and yeah, they they slap a copyright on it and it's yours. Wonderful. And so no one can infringe on that. No one can then take part of what you wrote and and make it as if it's his or her own. Correct. Uh, what is a trademark and right. why is that important? So a trademark is any word or phrase or uh, logo or similar design or all of those things. That is uh, a way to basically make your, let's, let's call it a logo, make your logo distinct and make it yours. So that's also similar. You file 
your trademark with the uh, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and then that becomes yours. What happens if you don't get a copyright or trademark, and then later someone inf- takes your part of your work and pretends that it's his or hers? What what can you do to gain the rights at that point, or is it too late? Right, and I know that that happens often. I remember learning about that in class, where um, like in intellectual property classes, I took um, copyright law classes. And I know for copyrights, you still have protection even without uh, copywriting something. But a lot of it has to do with, um, did you make, did you make it yours? Are people going to look at your copyright or your trademark and say, okay, I associate this with Rachel? For me, for example, if I didn't trademark Renegade Rule, um, the logo, will they still associate it with our comic book? So even without trademarking or copywriting, you can still say, well, there is an association and that kind of overcomes um, the copyright or lack of copyright. So there is still some protection, but I think that it's a lot harder to fight for it without it. So it's better to handle the copyright and trademark issues right away. Okay, so that's your first tip. What's your second tip? Right. So my second tip has to do with comic book creators in general, and that is have a contract with everyone. Have a contract if you're a writer, have it with your letter and your artist. Uh, Make sure, obviously, you have a contract with your publisher. And I mean, if you let's just say you I go in to write a comic book with you and you're the artist and I'm the writer and we're like, okay, let's let's just do this. We're going to, you know, split the money even or I'll pay for you or whatever. And then 10 years from now, we absolutely hate each other. You know, there's no contract to say, okay, well, I'm getting these royalties and you're getting these royalties. So it it makes things difficult. And then you have to go through litigation if it gets to that point. And, uh, you know, if you have a contract from the beginning, it takes away from all of that. So put everything in writing. Good, good suggestion. Okay. And what's your third tip? Uh, My third, find an intellectual property law firm that will handle pretty much everything I said above. A lot of it is hard to do on your own, especially if you're not um, maybe well-versed in the intellectual property law or entertainment law fields. I think it's, you know, it'll cost some money, but it's easier to just have someone do it for you and do it right. Right. I I think you're right. And if anyone has questions or uh, would like to contact Rachel about her ideas, please feel free please feel free to look at the show notes and her contact info is there. So Rachel, you've written two law review articles about comic book law. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the first one? Sure. So these were very fun to write. Um, The first one, I came up with this idea. I said, how can I incorporate comic books into the law? And I knew nothing. So I uh, went on Westlaw and I looked up comic book law. That's all I searched. And there was an ALR that I found that had to do with basically obscenity uh, and how it related to comic books. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what other cases have to do with that and whatnot. So my first law review article is about, it's called The Law of Obscenity in Comic Books. And it looks at um, the First Amendment and different types of comic book stores is really what it's about and how comic book stores have sold legally obscene comic books to either minors or just even having them on the shelves and it's technically illegal so a lot of the shop owners would be arrested and many of them tried to fight for their rights 
That's interesting because when you think of other publications, magazines, which have very, uh, you know, sexual related material, they're allowed on the sh on many shelves, right? So what is the difference between a comic book? Is it an age issue that children are not supposed to access this material? Yes, that's that's pretty much it. And um, and it's not also one of the things that I wrote about is it's not just pornography. It could also be graphic depictions of violence and war and things like that um, that could legally be, be deemed obscene. Um, the one I, thing that okay. yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. The one thing that I focused on a lot in my article and I wrote about it in like my first sentence, there was a famous quote by Justice uh, Potter Stewart and he wrote, I know it when I see it when he talked about obscenity, which I always thought was crazy because there there really wasn't a law about, well, what is obscene? And There's everyone no will definition. have definition. Right, and no everyone definition. will have their different opinion on what's what they deem obscene. Mm -hmm. um, the Right now in the law, the most like cited case, I guess, is the uh, Miller versus California, which came out with the Miller test. And basically in short, it's the uh, community standard. What is the community, what would the community deem obscene that would, I mean, this one more has to do with porn. And so it's, it has to do with the prurient interests and um, basically like what type, not type of sexuality in terms of like LGBT, but mm -hmm. sexuality in, in terms of um, sex. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't want, I, I just want to say the standards in New York may be very different from the standards in I don't want to pick on Utah or Wyoming, but there are, you know, and, and other states which are more right. conservative. So you do bring up a good point about how we need a greater standard, but I think we'll have to wait for the Supreme Court to, to come up with something better on that. And tell us about your second article. Right. So my second article was called, it's a little bit longer. It's called Comic Books, the First Amendment and the Best Test for Right of Publicity Issues. So both of these articles I published in the Torah Law Review while I was in law school. And um, this one has to do with more intellectual property laws, which was a little more up my alley, although it was fun learning about obscenity laws. Um, so this one focused on lawsuits between comic book publishers or um, like a writer or artist. And basically they put what I call persons of interest, whether it be celebrities or even just regular people who didn't approve of having their likeness being used in a comic book. And um, they brought suit against the publisher or the comic book writer or artist. So I want to, I just want to clarify, we're talking about a famous personality whose likeness is used without his or her consent in a comic book framework. Is that correct? Correct. So yeah, doesn't that uh, celebrity have a right to privacy? Is that yes. something discussed here? What, what did the court find there? Right. So there are a couple of cases. Um, there were two kind of opposing cases. There was one uh, Winter versus DC Comics. Uh, this was in a Jonah Hex comic book. And there were basically Johnny and Edgar Winter, who are famous musicians. And they claimed that their likeness was used in this Jonah Hex comic book. And the, they were, um, the court said that they were described as um, the Autumn Brothers, so kind of a play on their names, allegedly. And they were depicted as half worm, half humans, but also allegedly resembled the Winter Brothers. So mm -hmm. here, the court actually found that 
um, and I wrote this down, DC Comics depicted fanciful creative characters, not pictures of the Winter Brothers. And I quote, this makes all the difference. So basically the court said that they changed the, you know, I guess it wasn't depictions of them, but they changed the characters enough where they said, this isn't the Winter Brothers, these are the Autumn Brothers. I don't know, that seems very specious to me. It seems if, if you can connect a personality with a caricature, it might damage your brand or your uh, uh, how you're perceived by members of the public. But so basically, I think the court is not extending the right to privacy to public figures, right? If you're out in the public and you're well known, any comic book writer can make uh, a book about you. Is that is that the moral of the story here? Actually, no. So in another in another uh, case that I had read about and I wrote about, um, this one had to do with, and I'll just say it quickly, but it had to do with Tony Twist, the famous hockey player. He was a part of the NHL. And um, they found that in the Spawn comics, published by Image Comics, that they completely used his likeness. Not only was he a hockey player, they made him into a supervillain who murdered people. And um, I think Image Comics took it one step further where they, um, or I guess the writer, but um, they they made uh, merchandise, hockey merchandise that obviously had, you know, you, you know that that had to be about Tony Twist. So right, he actually right. won that lawsuit. I would think because they're making money off of additional merchandise, but also I think a difference, and tell me if I'm wrong, is here Tony is perceived as a violent character where right. maybe in the Winter Brothers uh, caricature, there was no violence. So maybe that's another uh, distinguishing factor. But it seems to me that, it's so fact specific in each case that there is no guideline here. It's basically based on the facts and, and good luck to you. In, in right. Suing. And that's what I tried to come up with was what I called the best test. There were many tests that I saw. Um, I think there were five or six tests for um, persons of interest and right of publicity issues. So my test came up with um, basically a reasonable trier fact. Um, finding that the person's persona commercial or commercial value was substantially transformed as a whole rather than as minimal elements. And I thought that would be a little more all-encompassing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's certainly a very uh, specific area of law. And I would think that anyone who, whether an attorney is listening or a law student or someone just interested in the field, uh, someone would find a lot of interesting material. So as a recent law school graduate, Rachel, do you have any advice, whether for current law students or for attorneys or for anyone else who might want to learn more about the comic book law field? Right. So I think during law school and maybe with CLEs, if they're offered, definitely a drafting contracts class. That's obviously very important in comic book law. Um, entertainment law classes, if that's available, or CLEs. And then something that I did personally, I, I don't know if I can plug it, <laughs> but I took summer classes at University of New Hampshire Law, and their law school focused primarily on intellectual property law. So one summer I took three classes and, you know, got school credit for it. And um, they were, they were really interesting. Uh, were those online classes? Yes. So, uh, 
it's it's more available to people throughout uh, the country to do that. So Rachel, do you have any future plans in the comic book law field? Right. So comic book law is kind of a niche field to get into, and it's always been my end goal to get into it uh, once I pass the bar. So that's kind of my plan at the moment. And then of course, publishing, publishing more, uh, more comic books. That's also a, you know, a side hustle for me. So um, that's one of my other plans. And also, I just want to say that if there are any comic book creators, creative teams, or um, anyone like that, who is looking for someone to look over their contracts, feel free to reach out to me and I can look them over or set you up with an attorney who will oversee everything. That's very kind of you. And I'm going to give you a plug, which we're going to put in the show notes as well, about your Etsy page. You're so creative in every way and creating all kinds of uh, jewelry and other items. So we see a great deal of creativity coming from you, Rachel. I look forward to your next book. And that's it for our 62nd episode. Thank you, Rachel Silverstein, for coming on the podcast today. The LI Law Podcast keeps you updated on Long Island legal matters and is your podcast for local legal tips, which educate and entertain. Thanks for listening.